0: You are listening to My City, My Health, the podcast. Welcome to the Healthy Project, My City, My Health edition. Today, I'm your host, Allison. I'm a student at the University of Iowa studying health and human physiology. My classmates and I are supporting the My City, My Health conference in Iowa City on April 28th. This conference aims to bring the University of Iowa and Iowa City Corridor community together to discuss health equity programs and collaborations. If you're interested in attending, registration is currently open at mycity.health. Today I get to interview Danielle and highlight her work with the community and public health and health equity. So let's get on into it. So Danielle, if you just wanna take a moment and introduce yourself and your role in the community,
1: Yes. Hi, my name is Danielle pettit Majeski, and I am the director for Johnson County Public Health.
0: Um, so what does health equity mean to you? Oh, the way I think about
1: health equity is essentially allowing every individual equal opportunity to have good health outcomes in life, regardless of um, socioeconomic status, race, language um other other um social determinants of health essentially so focusing on making sure that what we are giving folks or providing to folks is equitable not necessarily equal
0: mm-hmm. um
1: so i think health equity really i always think about you know the race right where you know okay so if you had two parents in the home take a step ahead you know if you had three square meals take a step ahead and then you know several other examples and then when you win the race well did you really win the race because you were better or because you were so many steps ahead so how can we get everybody to an equal playing field so that everybody has the opportunity to have um, good health outcomes Mm -hmm. equitable health outcomes
0: yeah Uh, so how do you think your positions as director of public health at Washington and Johnson County impact your definition of health equity?
1: Well, you know, the the populations might be a bit different Mm -hmm. in Johnson County versus Washington County, but to me, I think it's really, the work is ultimately the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still needing to work with the community members, you're still needing to uh, work with people where they are, you're still needing to kind of let them lead and be a support, right? So regardless of whether, you know, you're dealing with immigrants, who, um, you know, may have just may have just moved to the community, um, or you're dealing maybe with an Amish population who just have, you know, different um, ideas around, around health and what they want to. Um, so essentially, it's it's still the same, you know, you're working with a community, regardless of whether you're dealing with immigrants from, you know, the, the you know, who speak Congolese French, um, or you're dealing with, like I said, the Amish who have very different ideas about what sorts of um, health they want to access you know how can we how can we work with everybody to make sure that we give them what they need that they have at least the opportunity to have that good health outcome and then just dealing with the different barriers that each face you know for the Amish um, it was transportation it was trying to move from like our um, our county center our county seat in Washington moving to Kelowna because you know the horse buggy made it just a lot harder for them to get those 14 miles to our county center so we moved to them so that they would be able to access they may not take all the vaccines that we would recommend but at least we are giving them that opportunity you know it's also it's working with our congolese population um, making sure that we are um, trying to hire folks from the community um, to make sure that they feel comfortable working in our clinics, sharing information in our clinics, that we understand the, um, not not just the language, but also the, you know, the cultural um, implications of, you know, what they feel comfortable sharing and what they don't. So really, it's the same, regardless of what population you're working with, you need to be thinking about what their, what their, um, what, what looks like equity to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're going to be responding differently, but the um, the way you approach it is the same, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes at least in my sense.
1: perspective.
0: Yeah, like when I think of health equity, it is, or I think when a lot of people think of health health equity, it's easy to get lost in like what we view health equity as, and like what we view as healthy, and we kind of like forget, like you said, like the Amish like have different like religious beliefs, so their version of healthy is different. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a really good point that we have to like focus on like the opportunity and like what they view as healthy. Well, and we did
1: that a lot, you know, um, to them during the pandemic with them during the pandemic, it was okay. So, you know, they were telling me, Danielle, we can't stop meeting. We can't stop having church. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is obviously very important to you. Let's figure out the way that you all can do that as safely as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than saying like, it would really be better if you didn't. It's okay. This is a value. Mm
0: -hmm. This
1: is important to you. This is important to your overall, you know, being as a human being. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out how to make it as safe as possible.
0: Yeah, definitely some working together there for sure then, right? Yeah. Um, So, you went to the University of Iowa, correct? I did. I did for undergrad and graduate school. Nice. Um, How do you feel that the University of Iowa shaped and prepared you for your career in public health?
1: Oh, man. You know, it's really interesting because I I was a biology undergrad, Mm -hmm. and um, I actually wanted to be a genetic counselor. And that was, I actually worked in pediatric genetics at the university for several years during undergrad and then again, during graduate school. And it was interesting to me because that was kind of, I think my first exposure to, um, you know, like social determinants of health, you know? Um, Where, you know, I come from a small town, um, you know, where we didn't have a ton of diversity. And all of a sudden, and and I grew up, you know, always, you know, having two parents who worked two vehicles, you know, three meals a day, like, you know, we weren't wealthy by any means, but we, you know, we always had everything we needed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember just thinking, you know, when we would get clients who would have appointments for their kiddos, who, who would have very complicated genetic illnesses syndromes um congenital illnesses um they would have an appointment that they would have scheduled out for like seven months and they would miss it because that day they didn't have transportation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and it's like okay well when can you when can we get rescheduled and i would be like looking at my calendar and being like i don't even have a clinic out like for the next six months even available to offer you an appointment i am booked out that far that, I think that was like the first realization to me that there are folks who, regardless of how, you know, sick their child might be, how much they might need that appointment, you know, if that ride that day fell through, they, they really lost access to care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and then we had other clients who were always there, always, you know, able to show up for their kids. And, you know, it was just that different set of, scenarios, mm-hmm. you know, the, the different set of social determinants of health. It was that lived experience working in that clinic that actually um, transitioned my focus from working in genetics to focusing on public health. You know, it was, it was a colleague of mine who taught me, who, who taught a class on child abuse and neglect, and I took it because a lot of, um, statistically, a lot of kiddos um, who have um, disabilities or who are born with maybe cognitive developmental delays are at higher risk for abuse you know so that's what kind of drove me to take the cla- take class but that's where I was introduced to the field of public health and you know just thinking about all of the ways you know public health ca- helps folks have a healthier life from you know cradle to grave and but there's only so much you can learn in the classroom. And I feel like, you know, the University of Iowa really gave me the foundation to take, you know, that knowledge and then be able to apply it, you know, because it's then working in the field. And now I'm lucky enough, like I still get to work with the college um, on a really regular basis um, through our academic health partnership with the College of Public Health. So that that learning just continues. Mm-hmm. Um, but just being able to take what I've learned, apply it into practice and then learn from what I see from our community members. They teach me every day. The people we serve teach me every day of my career. And um, you know, and it has to be a constant learning process because we all have biases. You know, we all have internalized biases. And it's it takes so much unlearning. Like I grew up in a very white community. I, I feel like it was probably college before I was really exposed to a lot of diversity. You know, and so you do, you have just internalized biases and you can't necessarily control your first thought, but you can, you can then question and control your second and, you know, ask people about their experience Mm -hmm. and believe them and and then try to put those things into practice to make, to make it better for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely have to be aware of the bias
1: Yes, you know, and I, I think so many of us don't realize that, you know, where we think racism is, you know, it's, it's a one to one thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's not, it's not, you know, you can, you can hold, um, you know, we have we, white supremacy, like our, our, um, our culture is built on white supremacy, you know, you and I both white women, we benefit from that, whether it we are, we're not at fault for that, but we benefit from it, mm-hmm. you know, and so. That's not to put guilt on you or to put guilt on me, but to acknowledge that. And I think sometimes like you have to acknowledge where those privileges are so that you can kind of work on dismantling that because we can't put that work on folks who have been oppressed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because they have enough going on. We can't put all of the work on on um, improving health equity on people who are struggling.
0: So I guess kind of branching off of that, what are some problems in public health that prior to your positions in public health are fresh out of college that you were completely just unaware of?
1: Yeah, You've heard of the placebo effect, right? When you're doing like a clinical trial, you can do a double blind Mm -hmm. clinical trial, right? So you're going to give one person the medicine and you're going to give one person the placebo and you're going to see um, you know, what is the outcome, you know, on blood pressure, right? And that placebo is a sugar pill. It's not going to hurt them, you know, but when, and then you can say, okay, blood pressure went up, blood pressure went down. Like, yes, this pill works great. You know, we're going to have, we're going to write this prescription, but when it comes to public health, like ethically, you can't be like, "Mm, I'm going to put lead in your water. Lots of, lots of unethical things happened where we now we have learned from that, but, a public health um, things take time, right? Mm-hmm. And and you and they're hard to measure, especially when something doesn't happen. You know what would have happened um, if we would have spent, let's say two. I don't know. I'm gonna throw out. A, I'm gonna throw out a random number: two billion dollars in funds, trying to help stop the spread of COVID in Wuhan mm-hmm. province. If we didn't see then that spread happen globally, people may have said, well, we shouldn't have spent that $2 billion. That was a waste of money. But how much did that, would that have saved? How mm-hmm. many lives would that have saved? Because you can't measure both. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's like, it's like buying insurance. It's a really unfun bill to get. Because you're like, I'm paying for car insurance, and I still haven't crashed my car, knock on wood, you know, (laughs) but I'm paying for car insurance. Mm -hmm. But public health, A, it takes a lot of time. And you can't always see, you can't measure what didn't happen. And unfortunately, it's also incredibly political. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, you know, election cycles, decisions are made in two to four year election cycles because people wanna say like, I voted for that, we funded that, we wanna see the outcomes. Well, if things don't happen in political cycles, things happen in generations. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of political will to wait that long. Like I think about, so something like gun violence. You know gun violence they were studying the cdc was studying gun violence in 1998 they found out that you're actually less safe if you have a gun in your home what happened they stopped funding Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the cdc to study gun violence because there were people who had lobbyists who had lots of money to put pressure to say i don't want that to be funded because then i can't sell guns Mm -hmm. okay so then now you know it's 2023 we have how many mass shootings, you know, up to, you know, by the end, middle of February, did we have, what, like 60 mass shootings by the middle of the end of February? A lot, right? And when people say, well, Danielle, what would you do? And how do you think we should fix it? And I say, I do not know because I do not have any data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but because, because politics interferes with making evidence-based practice, the same thing, or with money, you know, climate change. Mm-hmm. what's going to be the impact on public health globally and who's going to be most impacted people living in poverty mm-hmm. already right people who already have the fewest resources are going to be impacted the most but there's a resistance to do what we could do to stop it because there are people who make a lot of money from not
0: mm-hmm.
1: from not putting those things into practice
0: yeah sounds like there's a lot of Barriers to making like strong, fast headway in public health.
1: Yes, yes, and that's one of the things. Every time I have a student, I always tell them, "I'm I'm going to lovingly pop your bubble. You're never going to have as much money as you want. Yeah. You know, you're never going to have as much political will as you need, and it will always take longer than you think it should.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and you know, we were at the Capitol on Monday. No, Tuesday of last week. Sorry, Tuesday of last week. And basically, we're like, our session here is not going to do tons of good. We're here for harm reduction. You know, this is not going to be a session where we're going to be like, we got a huge win. This is so mm-hmm. exciting. It's, you know, we need to make these bills um, have as little harm to our community as possible. And that was our intent going in. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then next session, we'll go back and we'll keep educating. We, we, we keep trying. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really prepares you for how political it is.
0: I I certainly wasn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people, like even just the general public, when they think of public health, I think a lot of people just think like they're not doing anything. But like you said, like I think people just don't think about like how long and like how entangled it is with other things that just prevent movement from being made. And what does it look like? You know, what does public health
1: actually look like? You know, public health can look like a road diet, Mm -hmm. you know, with with bike lanes on either side. Public health can look like improving walkability in your community. Mm -hmm. It can look like adding a green space to your city plan. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I mean,
1: so I think people also when they say like, well, what is public health? A better question is what isn't?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess moving on, kind of still going into things that impact public health. How has the pandemic impacted public health, and is it still being affected even as we enter year three? Yes. How has it impacted public health? Um, well, there was an MMWR
1: um, that the CDC put out in July of 2021, and it it was um, results of 26. Thousand and some change public health professionals across the country. I was one of them. I filled it out. And I think it came back with like 58% of public health officials were struggling with depression. Um, I think 34% like PTSD. There was some anxiety, suicidal ideation. It, I, one in eight Americans lost their public health director. Easy. Public health officials were threatened. They were. Um, insulted it became a very difficult space to be in you know I've seen I've seen people a lot of people leave their jobs um, across the state Um, in my department I I switched jobs during the pandemic because of you know the pressures um, and just how hard it became how untenuous it became for my my health and my mental health yes it's still having an impact because you know you've got everything during the pandemic was kind of like you were hyper focused right like you had other things you had to do to a certain extent but it was really hyper focused and so you have a whole workforce that's like burnout exhausted underpaid and then basically the governor is like okay emergency declaration is over Mm-hmm. done moving on and it's like everything just speeds into high gear again and you're just like uh, what trying to catch what just up. happened yeah yeah you're trying to catch a break you're trying to catch your breath you're like I you know and 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 there has been a lot of what I call parade candy money um you know where it's like they throw money at you in response to this one thing, and I'm like, I don't want parade candy money. I want three square meals a day money. I want money that is flexible. I want money that helps me build capacity. I want money that helps me actually focus on the um, the square issues that impacted the ba- the poor health outcomes for people who who had you know who were people of color you know who were marginalized who already had underlying health conditions you know so. I think that there's just a lot of public health professionals who kind of who are who are they're struggling you know I just got a study yesterday that I was reading from the Beaumont Foundation and they're saying I think already we were like across state and territorial tribal um, public health departments state local and tribal health departments were like 80,000 people short and they're saying that like they were looking at the workforce for public health and how many people were planning to leave by 2025. 70% of public health workers, I think under the age of 30, are planning to leave the field by 2025. 70%. When I look at, you know, um, you know, the people who I look to as my mentors, people who are getting ready to retire, 40% of our workforce is planning to retire in the next couple of years. And now we're going to lose basically the Gen Z of our workforce, a good chunk of the Gen Z of our workforce. That's concerning. Yeah. You know, the work isn't going to get harder or the work isn't going to get easier. Mm -hmm. The funding is not going to get more secure. It's, you know, so looking at how the pandemic impacted the public health profession and how it continues to and will continue to. I don't, I don't think we have even begun to see the full extent of how that will impact because now my, my concern is what is this going to look like in terms of chronic conditions? Mm -hmm. What are, what are we going to be seeing in chronic conditions because of this? Mm -hmm. So it's been incredibly hard. I will just be very honest as a public health professional working in a pandemic, um, year three, going into year three, but I think it will continue to just touch everything. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it seems unrelated, it ripples. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I am also interested to see like, you know, 10 years down the road, how, this affected not only like public health, but just the healthcare field in general.
1: That, and to me, also education. Yeah. I'd be curious to see the impact that it has on edu- the field of education yeah. and also like chronic conditions in kids. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of terrifyingly fascinated to see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems really scary, but I feel like we're going to be seeing some
0: interesting long-term studies on that. So I guess going off of that, um, how can community members get involved and support you with some of the work you guys are doing? Well, I always think about you know our our community
1: health assessments um, we have to do every five years,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: And I always used to say when I was in Washington County, you know, it was a collaborative effort, you know. Um, this is the way that we leverage resources. We don't have the capacity to fix these things. You know, we are conveners as public health professionals. We want to help support and supplant work where we need to, you know, so folks who are already doing good work, we want to partner with folks. You know, we want to know like, what good things are people doing? Like, how can we, how can we partner? You know, are there organizations that we, we we've built a lot of great relationships. I will say this is the silver lining of the pandemic is that we built so many great relationships during the community Mm -hmm. that what I want to see now is being able to be like, okay, now that we've built that relationship kind of in the in the space of disaster it's like how can we you know continue that relationship in the space of recovery how can mm-hmm. we build that relationship in the space of you know resilience and like you know working together to to strengthen our to community and to improve our health outcomes for everybody so um i think just kind of a, a willingness to be at the table is mm-hmm. you know really what i think is just most important
0: yeah um So what do you hope to accomplish within the community and from the My City, My Health conference?
1: You know, I'm just I was just really honored to be asked, like for me, you know, kind of being I still consider myself new um, in in this role. And so for me, it's also like a good way for me to, to meet other people in this space who are working on the same things, you know, to either make connections, build connections, you know, talk about the work that we do, especially for people who, who may not have a good understanding of what public health is, how it impacts the community as a whole. Because, you know, we used to say when I was in Washington County that, you know, nobody really knew what public health did until they needed us.
0: Mm -hmm. But really,
1: everybody needs public health every day. They just don't necessarily realize it. Yeah. So I think it's spreading awareness about what public health does, you know, how we, how we help the communities and also how we can collaborate and work together for improved health
0: outcomes. All right. Well, I think that's everything, Danielle. Thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I hope our listeners do too. If you're interested in learning more about the My City My Health Conference or joining in the conversation, visit mycity.health.